to us this morning. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you're visiting with us and you're a little unfamiliar with the process, you probably received a bulletin this morning. The message outline is inside this bulletin with a few fill-in-the-blanks. If you'd like to take some notes, we have that available for you. Those of you who live around here, we'd love to invite you back to be a part of one of our fellowship groups this Wednesday night. This outline that you're filling out this morning will be part of our discussion on a Wednesday night, and we'll, of course, dive into some cross-references, and, uh, of course, our folks, if you want to pick up a hard copy of that fellowship group lesson, they're in the office. There's about 10 copies of those. Everything else will be available, digitally speaking. All right, the president's calling. Somebody answer that, please. All right, just let him know he can pick us up on live stream. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 this morning. This is part two of a really intriguing chapter to me. And last week, if you were here, we dove into the beginning of this narrative where Jesus is walking by and he sees a blind man. And this blind man, we're we're led into the story a little bit. This blind man has been blind from the day he was born. What a life. What a life of brokenness. Seemingly no prospects, really no hope of really being successful in any sense of a human imagination at all, never a hope of really being anything but a burden to his parents, who we hear from today in in part two of this, but God saw him, and God walked by, and by the way, God knew exactly where he was walking, and he saw this man. And he began a process in this man's life, which we'll find at the end of today ended in this man's salvation. But he heals the physical brokenness. And and you know we talked last week about the brokenness that is all of us and around all of us as just a result of living in this broken world. And whether you find yourself in physical brokenness that you seem to have to live with, we want you to understand that God sees that. God knew. God sees your brokenness. He knows your brokenness. He knew exactly where you were. And just like this man, we don't know how many years he lived with this blindness before God removed that blindness from him. But God nowhere in his word ever guarantees any of us that he will do that. What he promises us is he'll do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is always best. Always best. Our lives are not really supposed to be about what we want, although we get that backwards a lot, right? Our lives are supposed to be about what he wants. Trust me, when you get to heaven, you're going to have plenty of what you want and more. The life today, the physical life, is to be about him. I hope you'll see that today as we continue in this. So the blind man was told, he had to express a little bit of faith, okay, right? The blind man was told to go down to the pool of Siloam, and after Jesus Um, put this clay in his eyes, and no, this is not the blind man. There was no photos back then, but it might have looked something like this. This man walked a quarter of a mile in his blindness to go down to the public pool area that was for the ritual cleansing in Jerusalem, and he washed his eyes, and he came back in verse number eight, came back seeing. God did exactly what he said he was going to do, as God always does. Always. We can trust him. We continue in this fascinating conversation. We're going to do it just a little bit differently today because it's 31 verses. And I want you to get it all in one message because it's all one conversation, but it's quite a load of text to handle. So we're going to go through it uh, chunk by chunk. 
and just look at the reactions to what God did in this man's life. I want you to see the reactions. And you're going to come away with some semblance maybe of this at the end of this message. Maybe I need what this man finds in Jesus. Or maybe you're going to come away saying, I need to be telling more people about what this man finds in Jesus. Or maybe you're going to come away from this just a little bit encouraged because you've just been a little discouraged by the despondency that you see in the world. You've been a little bit discouraged by the fact that you're witnessing and it just seems like nobody is accepting the Lord. Uh, Maybe you're getting a little discouraged by the fact that it seems like a whole generation of young people are leaving even the thought of Christianity. We're now, for the first time, at least since I've been alive, we're at a place where there are more young people and, and adults that are not interested in going to church than are interested. And we're not talking about the faithful ones. We're just talking about interest, period. We're now growing up and seeing a generation grow up around us of young people that have never been to church and have no interest in being, going to church at all. This is new times for you and me, but it's the day we live in. Please don't be discouraged by this. Don't be discouraged. And I hope you'll find um, encouragement and confrontation in the next 31 verses. But before we do, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Father, this is your word. There's really nothing I can say this morning that will improve upon it. So I'm, I'm asking you to help me not to take away from it. Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we need you to speak to our hearts. We need the, the seeds of the word of God to fall on hearts this morning, whether in this building or online, that want to know you. Hearts that want to know the truth. Would you please, Lord, would you allow this truth to get to them today? Father, we're, we're asking and hoping that there is an attitude of surrender in this building, Lord, that we would welcome the word of God. We would welcome your truth. We would welcome much more than these people did. Lord, encourage us, confront us, teach us today. And I pray the results of this would be honoring to you. In your name I ask, amen. So as we continue on, there is going to be several things going on in this passage. Just let me get my ducks in a row here. But it's really all a response to the healing of this man. Okay, this is this man before he was healed, physically healed. He has not been spiritually healed yet in in this narrative, but he's been physically healed as of where we pick up in uh, John chapter 9. And so we're going to pick up reading in John chapter 9 and verse number 8. That's going to be kind of our our send-off verse this morning, John chapter 9 and verse number 8. And just because of the way the passage is structured, we're not going to go to a whole lot of cross-references this morning. If I do, they'll be on the screen behind me just for sake of time. And Wednesday night, we'll take this even further, and we'll dive into some cross-references there for your admonition. But the first thing we see is we look at the lessons from the results of this man's healing. As we look at the conversations that ensued after Jesus heals this man, as we look for application in our own lives today, there is plenty of it. So let's, let's open the word and look at what the Lord has for us today. Number one, we see that, I'm going backwards. All right, number one, we see in John chapter 9, verse 8, God's visible work in us invites gospel opportunities. God's visible work 
in us invites gospel opportunities. Now, there would be some debate even in that point at to where do we draw the line if there is no visible work of God, are you even a believer in the first place? That's for God to judge, but that is definitely a possibility. This, this idea that you and I can be followers of Jesus, yet nobody ever finds out about this, and we hardly know ourselves, that's just foreign to the Scriptures. God's visible work in us invites gospel opportunities. Let's read the passage in verse number 8. At least we'll read a paragraph here. So, he has just come back from being healed from the pool of Siloam. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? Which is kind of an odd, man, odd question to ask a guy that's been blind from birth, right? I don't know. You know. Where is he? He said, I know not. I know not. First thing we see, and there's going to be quite a few points here, but every point really is just an aspect of application. So um, I, I'm going to try not to tire out your hand. You're just writing in a blank there, okay? Letter A, others should be able to see Jesus in us. If Jesus is in us, here's a qualifier of that. Others should be able to see him in us, okay? I, I used to say, you know, Jesus should have made a difference in your life. And that, of course, is true. But we all come to Christ at different points in our life. And that looks a little different for each and every one of us, but I can guarantee you this, if Jesus came into your life, he made a difference. Absolutely. You cannot have the Holy Spirit of God in your life without that making a difference. Others should be able to see this. We see there in verse number eight, they asked, is, this, is not this he that sat and begged? This man, as we know, was most likely begging at the, the temple gate called Beautiful. This is where the beggars were. I mean, it was prime location. Everybody's coming into the temple. They're already ready to give offerings. They're, they're already coming with maybe some sort of idea of God on their mind, so they're feeling more benevolent than usual. I mean, sit at the gate of the temple, absolutely. They're commanded to come to the temple. This is the central location, prime target for beggars. He sat there and begged. Is not this he that sat and begged? They'd, know, they'd known this guy. He'd been there every day. They noticed something was different. You know, you look just like that guy that used to beg down at the gate. He said, no, that can't be him. It is. It's me. It's me. I'm the one. We see, secondly, our letter B, the change may be hard for them to accept. Maybe hard for them to accept, depending on your relationship with the people that notice Jesus in you. You may have found this already, but it may be hard for them to accept because they don't understand. They don't understand what happened to you yet. That's where you come in to help them understand. You know, those are, especially if you grew up with people and all of a sudden God has changed your life and things don't make sense to you anymore. You, you can't do the things you used to do with a clear conscience anymore. Now, now you're in those same locations and same venues and around those same friends. It's like, this is just not the same as it used to be. I don't have anything to talk about or I do want to talk about what happened to me. That's what I want to talk about. But they don't want to hear that, or you think. It's not the same. Here in verse number 9, some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. 
They, they, they didn't even really know what to make of it at this point. A little hard for them to accept that this was the same guy. Yeah, it's the same guy. Jesus changed me. And at this point, this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. I've been changed. I am different. It's me. He goes on. Let her see. Jesus' work in you will cause some to ask questions. Some will ask questions. You're getting to this point. They, what do they say? Well, a couple questions. Number one, how are thine eyes opened? How did this happen? You know, if, if Jesus really is evident in your life, there are going to be some that want to know how it happened. They want to know. I mean, it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it, it's not that you got sent to jail, and even if you did get sent to jail, there's many people, and some would have the courage to actually come and say, why are you here, you know? But when they see something good happened, that's a chance that maybe that good thing could happen to them as well. There's going to be some that want to know. And these people did. How were thine eyes opened? Or they said, where is he? Where, where is the person that did this to you? Who, who gave you this blessing? Who changed you like this? And they wanted to know. You know, Peter tells us and exhorts the, uh, in his general epistle, he exhorts those saints that were, that were scattered that if they, looked for, um, if they looked at their persecution, their difficulty, the, the reality of, of their living in a broken world as believers, if they looked at that reality as a cause or an opportunity to suffer for a good cause, if they looked at it that way, Peter says this would, this would bring them happiness and another opportunity as well. Read, read there with me in uh, 1 Peter 3.14 on the screen. But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So first thing he does is he adjusts the way they're looking at it. Don't, don't look at persecution. Don't look at suffering for your faith and for being a Christian. Don't look at that in a negative way. He said, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But instead, do this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. Be ready to what? Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He said, if Jesus is visible to you and in you, you're going to suffer for it. But don't look at that as a negative thing, Paul says. Be happy about that. Be happy about the opportunity now that you have to visibly show Jesus Christ to others. And he said, and be ready because there are going to be some that are going to come and they want to know what makes you so different than everybody else. They want to know. Not everybody, but some will. They want to know. Second thing we see is gospel seeds take time to grow. As we continue in John chapter 9, we're in verse 13 now. Verse 13, we continue down through the narrative. Gospel seeds take time to grow. And I want to encourage you, this idea that some of us have grown in, grown up in that the aspect of our soul winning takes place on a Saturday morning or a Thursday night or once a month. Whatever it is, we have this compartmentalized idea that there's a soul winning program, so that's when we soul win. Well, there's no soul winning programs in the Bible. We're to be witnesses everywhere we go. And what better way to be witnesses than just in natural, intentional, verbal, bold conversation, taking every opportunity that comes our way to speak his name to let others know what God has done in our lives. That is soul winning. That's what soul winning is. Here, here's the danger, and I grew up in this, so I, I can speak of this. The danger is 
if you're not then in the soul winning program, you're not soul winning. Because I do it then. That's when I do it. And it's just not scriptural. And the Lord has helped me with that. You may find, and probably will, especially the day we live in, that more than one gospel conversation is needed. More than one. It's not a show up at your door, you said you're Phil, and now walk away and never see him again. No, this is a continuing thing. To a nation, to a culture, to a society that is steeped in falsehood, you're going to have to speak more than one time about the Lord. You're going to have to, especially in our culture. I mean, what a, this very similar, by the way, to Judaism back then, just in a different type of religion, but very religious society, just like us here in the Bible Belt in the South. I mean, everybody speaks the name of Jesus, right? But very few actually follow him. So how do you help people see the difference? Well, that's more than one conversation. Definitely. One false idea I find that is very prevalent is that you and I can name the name of Jesus. We can even call ourselves Christians. But Jesus has made little to no influence on our life whatsoever. That's a false idea. How do, you, how do you help people with that? It takes time. Gospel seeds take time. Take time to grow. Uh, did we get to verse 13 yet? Maybe we didn't. I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees, and we're just continuing in our narrative here. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Now he's seeing. Verse 14, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay, opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight. So here's another group that is asking. He said unto them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and do see. I don't know what else to tell you. It's pretty simple. Verse 16, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. They're speaking of Jesus. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Then uh, they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, concerning him that had been born blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents... His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. And then we're privy to a little insight here. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. You know, there were several different reactions that we saw here as we're talking about the growth that, uh, that the gospel has in our lives when the word of God uh, is introduced to the heart of man. You can read more about that in Matthew 13, the different stages of growth, accepting and rejecting and, and the good ground there at the end. You can study that later. But we see here in this narrative, there were several different reactions that God lets us uh, view into. I mean, those that are um, influenced by false religion, those who are leading in false religion, and by false religion we mean anything that does not have repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as its foundation. Everything else is false, okay? Um, It doesn't matter what the label is on the religion. I mean, it could be Jesus Christ superstar, but if that's not what they believe, 
then it's false doctrine, okay? That's what we mean by false religion. So anybody that's uh, in, influenced by false religion, around false religion, especially if they're leading in false religion, this is going to take time. They have so much falsehood in their mind and in their heart. For us to try and convince them or get them to pray a prayer really would be a little deceitful on our part because they don't really even understand what they're doing. And it's important. Here's some responses we see in there. Letter A, we see that there are those who are thinking logically about this. They're, they're trying to make sense of really what is going on. And, and that's natural. That's a human way of thinking. In verse 16, we saw this. Then said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They're having a debate here. This doesn't make sense to us. He said, they said, first of all, this man's not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. I mean, what was the first thing they noticed automatically? This guy's not doing this the way we do things. And the way we do it is right. I mean, we believe it's right. That's why we're in this. Although we find later on there's a few that doubted that. We'll see that. He's not doing it like us. Bible knowledge commentary gave a little bit of insight. It says, I quote, the Pharisees believe that since Jesus violated the Sabbath, he was a false prophet, turning the people away from God. So they concluded this man is not from God. Later they said Jesus was a sinner. Others concluded, the others in the text, that the signs were so impressive that a sinner could not do them. The Pharisees then were divided. So they were asking honest and for the human physical mind, the natural mind, they were logical questions. And they're trying to answer them. You might kind of struck me as this, and maybe it did you as well. Why did they call Jesus a sinner? This man is a sinner. Well, we get a little insight into Old Testament history of what a sinner was. A sinner in the Old Testament was characterized as somebody who despised the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Moses' law. He despised it. And then over time, as the rabbis started chiming in with all of their opinions and all of their doctrines, it became volumes and volumes and volumes on so many things that were added to God's law. After a while, they really couldn't tell the difference. The word of the rabbis was equal with the word of the Torah, God's word, the prophecies by the prophets. They, they all kind of got lumped into one thing, all written by man, all important, all by God, same, same, same. So what it became was somebody steps on the scene that is, doesn't do it the way they wrote, they figured, they interpreted, this man's a sinner. He's despising what we've said, what we've taught. And that's the place that we find ourselves in. Jesus gets lumped in with the sinners. It didn't make sense. And these are, people, these are people that are steeped in false religion, steeped in false ways, have accepted lies as truth. Jesus seemed like a wicked man to them, or so they say. Letter B, we also see that there are those who are skeptical. There's some that are logically trying to figure this thing out, you know, probably in a little bit of an adversarial manner, but there's also the, those that are skeptical uh, about this whole thing. In verse 18, we continue on, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. Now, we know the Jews, anytime, not anytime, but many times in the New Testament when you hear the Jews, it's not talking about the nationality of the Jews. It's really another way of saying that, that religious power structure. I mean, they followed all over the New Testament church. We see the Jews going around and causing problems. What was it? it wasn't just people that are Jewish. It was this, this religious power structure that had been set up over years and years and centuries. And they were very threatened by the Lord in this new doctrine. There are those who were skeptical in verse 19 or verse 18. We continue that 
Uh, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? If your son, I mean, this is your son, first of all, right? Yeah, okay, it's your son. Uh, how is it, if he was really blind, how does he see now? And we find that they really didn't even think he was blind in the first place. They could not believe that this miracle actually happened. This Pharisees, this group of followers, the Jews, they did not believe concerning Jesus. And I think we can all agree that somebody, especially if you're in leadership, this would be a very difficult pill to swallow. Really, really difficult. And really, even for somebody in leadership, I know I was there eight years in the ministry before I came to Christ. And I have to tell you, it was not a joyful time for me. It was a very sobering time. My thought was at 32 years of age, what in the world have I been doing all my life? Believing a lie? I mean, how humbling, how humiliating, quite frankly. And that's what I needed, by the way. I needed that. I needed the Lord to humble me, and he did. There are those who are skeptical, and they're giving their arguments, and they're divided. They're trying to figure this thing out logically. Letter C, there are those who are totally opposed. And please understand, not everybody's going to come to Christ. Don't let that discourage you. That's just a fact. It is inherent in the free will of man that men have the free will to reject Jesus Christ. They don't have the choice in their consequences of that, but they do have the choice in choosing him or not. There are those who are totally opposed. In verse number 20, we continue in this conversation. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, this power structure. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. There was, there was a fear among the people to betray this religious hierarchy. And we find this is, is something that can happen, really, in religious circles, where we can be so afraid of quote, the man of God, that we will never speak anything against him, um, whether we see him in sin or not. It's silence. And now these guys took it to a whole new level, and they had actually already pronounced that if anybody follows this man, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that he'll be excommunicated from the synagogue. That was a big deal back then for them. It's, it's not like modern-day America where, oh, we can't, we can't come to church for a month? Oh, okay, I'll just watch TV or something, you know. That wasn't probably not a big deal to many of us. And I don't mean many of us, but many in our area. Obviously, you're here for a reason this morning. But there are those who are totally opposed, and this leadership structure had set out that if you do this, if you acknowledge that this man that just healed this blind man, that's what everybody's saying, that he's the Messiah, you're going to be excommunicated from the, um, the synagogue. His parents obviously were afraid of that. They were not going to speak in this. According to the Talmud, there's three levels of excommunication, just briefly. You can study these yourself. Number one is Nadine, where you're not permitted for 30 days to have any communication with any person from the synagogue unless it was at a distance of four cubits. So as long as you stayed six feet away, you could talk, but you couldn't get any closer than that. I'm sorry, these things sound funny to me. Um, number two is uh, Harem. This was where the offender was. This is level two of the excommunication. The offender was formally cursed was excluded from all talking and associated with other people 
that would enter the synagogue. Number three is Shamathah. This was, they were cut off from all connection with the Jewish people and were cons um, consigned to utter perdition. They were exiled. They were banished. Pretty serious. This was the hold. I mean, this takes church discipline to an all-new level, does it not? This was the hold that this false religion had on the Jewish people. But don't let these responses, even though right now none of them seem positive, don't let this discourage you. There are going to be people like this. They're going to be trying to figure this thing out logically. By the way, what are they going to be figuring out? There's nothing to figure out if they don't know you're following Jesus. They just go along their merry way. Life is what it is. But if they know you're following Jesus, all of a sudden you're, you're dumping their apple cart. They have to do something about this. They either reject it, they're either maybe they're mean to you, Maybe they spurn you, make fun of you, say things about you. I don't know. There's going to be a few that want to ask questions. Some for good reasons, some for not good reasons. But they're responding to Jesus in you. And don't be discouraged by that. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. We continue on. Continue on. Uh, point number three, gospel seeds will not be received by everyone. There are always those who will not be convinced. There will always be those. In verse 24, chapter 9, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, so these are the Pharisees still talking, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How open thee he thine eyes? Is it, you may repeat yourself much? Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and he did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And please keep in mind, this is a beggar speaking to the politicians, basically. The lawyers and leaders of the day. Now, religion was throughout their entire government. It was all one in one package, Okay. But this is a beggar. This is a guy that sat daily begging at the beautiful gate of the temple with everybody else. And now we're seeing this thing turn around. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Maybe a little sarcasm there. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. And dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Not everyone is going to receive the word of God. Not everyone. We see letter A, they resist the gospel because it doesn't make sense to them. They resist it. They don't accept. It doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't fit their personal idea of God, and that is getting more and more foreign to people, um, even in our society. The, the fact that Jesus is not on our lips like he used to be. God is not common topic in conversation. He's not. So people are thinking about him less and less. 
and less. And yes, we have all sorts of avenues, but amidst all of the conferences, all of the radio channels, all of the YouTube and internet and uh, churches in America that we have, still people are growing further and further away from God. It's, Christianity is not something you just catch by osmosis. You have to choose. You have to choose. And some people will not receive it. Maybe, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we can see a little more clearly than we have in the past rather than just lumping everybody all together. Everybody's a child of God, as we know that's not true. They resist the gospel because it doesn't make sense to them. What did they say there in verse 24? Did you catch that? Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. <laughs> Come on. They're not really wanting to praise God here. What are they really saying? Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, okay, tell us how it really happened. Just give God the praise for this. Don't praise this guy over here. We know he didn't do this. Just give God the praise instead. What were they saying? Just come alongside of us. That's what they were saying. Be a, be, come back, back into the right doctrine, back into the right belief, back into the good graces of the church here. Come back in here with us. Don't side with this guy. We know there's something going on here. He didn't really do anything. We don't know if it's because you weren't really blind in the first place. We don't know if this is a big conspiracy. Uh, we don't know how this happened. Okay, we can obviously can't argue with the fact that you see right now. Okay, it's been, wow, you've been faking it for a long time. Don't know how you did that, but they just will not see it. They resist it. They resist the truth that is right in front of them. That next step is right there. And oh, if they would just take it, you know, you know the Lord would come. You know he would, and he does for this man. Let's, let's keep going there. The man says, all I know is, I was blind, now I see. All I know is I'm changed. That's all, I don't know a whole lot about it other than that. I am changed, I was blind. Now, please understand, this is talking about physical blindness here, okay? I was blind, now I see. We see letter B. Their pride here blinds their ability to see the truth in verse 26. Then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Do you all want to follow this guy too? Is that, that why? Yeah, you, you see a little sarcasm here. Or you all keep asking me this because you want to be his disciple. Is it, that's what's going on here? You know, he, he's getting a little cheeky, if you would, with the leadership. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not whence he is. The man answered. He, this did not shut him up. This man knew something had happened, even though he didn't even fully understand who it was or why. He knew something had happened, and he was not going to be shut up. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is? And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Y'all don't understand this. I get that, but I'm telling you, something happened here. And he says, I actually think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that somebody did something outside of your wishes. And it's a good thing. He speaks up for Christ, even though he doesn't even know who Christ is yet. These men would not see what he was saying. This used to be blind man. They wouldn't see it. Let her see. We see their pride can cause them to reject something that is true. What a sad commentary to have so much pride in your life that you can stare truth in the face 
and think it's false. What deception. What deception. How sad. Jesus pointed out the blindness of, of these men many times in the gospel of mankind. And he even states this as the reason that he taught them uh, parables in the Bible. When, when Jesus, we see that hinge where Jesus stops teaching them truth and starts masking it in parables. And the disciples come to him, remember this, and ask him, why are you teaching the people in parables? And he said, because seeing they see not and hearing they hear not. They don't want to know what I'm saying. So you know what? I'm not going to tell them. Now, that's omniscient God speaking right there, not you and me. We don't know who wants to know and who doesn't. But we know that there are some who do and some who don't. So that's just a fact of life. Don't be discouraged by that. Jesus, uh, in this story, we see the blindness of these people, and their pride is actually causing them to reject what is true. In verse 31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. This is the, the used-to-be-blind man speaking. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Did you, did you catch what they just said there? Thou wast altogether born in sins. Do you remember in verse number two what the disciples, followers of Jesus, by the way, as far as we know, we don't know exactly when the disciples were truly converted to Christ, but they had made a decision to follow him at least, to learn from him and be taught from him. His own followers still had Jewish culture in their background, still had Jewish ways of thinking that God was rooting out in him. And when they walked by that blind man, what did they say? Who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? So we see that this teaching was everywhere. And by the way, that's going to happen, right? There's going to be people that come into this fellowship that have wrong teaching in their background, that have unbiblical philosophies, and that's one of the reasons that we're here. We're here not to all be the same, that's not what it is, but to all align ourselves under the same authority, under the same spoken word, under the truth that does not change. It'll look a little different for each of us, and that's okay. But our lives will be true. Our lives will be right. And he'll give us the strength and ability to show him to others. But these guys, their, their pride is causing them to think something so true could be false. And we must, we must let the responses to the gospel don't discourage us, but burden us to be bolder, more vocal, to shine brighter. Don't let it cause you to go under a rock. Don't let it cause you to put your light under a bushel. No, let it cause you to more people need to see this. Obviously, they're not hearing enough about Jesus. So I've got a mouth, and I've got a Savior, and I'm going to talk about him all the time. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Can we think of any good reason why we wouldn't? I know we all have reasons why we don't, but let's just evaluate those reasons. Can we think of a good one while we don't talk about him? You can think on that one. Probably going to come up with a negative, nothing, a zero on that like I did. So let this exhort you then. Let this burden you and propel you to think about him, to speak about him, to show him to everybody you come in contact with and further. Lastly, point number four, we see that gospel seeds are welcomed by those who are searching. So I thought we're never going to get to this spot. 
Well, there are some. There are some who want to know. And we're going to see a couple different applications of that here. Gospel seeds are welcomed by those who are searching. It's interesting to me. We don't, um, we don't see a whole lot. Maybe, I'm just going to say a whole lot because I don't have the whole Bible memorized. And if I'm missing one, feel free to let me know afterwards. But I can't think of an instance where somebody was argued with and came to Christ. I can't think of, a, of an instance like that in the, in the Word of God. I'm not saying there's, not a, there's a place for standing for Christ. Absolutely. For apologetics. I don't know that that's the way to win somebody to him. That's a little further down the process. That's the beginning, like they're doing here. They're talking this, this, this whole thing out. They're figuring where exactly they stand. They're figuring what of their ideas are right, false, true. What side of the line does this know? That doesn't make any sense. Were you even born blind? I mean, they're, they're figuring this whole thing out. Within that, there's going to be people that just reject the whole thing. I mean, they won't even consider that Jesus is in your life. They won't even consider that what has happened to you, what they see in you, is something that's not just going to end in, a, in six months, or something that you're just going through a fad right now, or you're just part of a really good church and you act like them on Sundays. They're not even going to consider that it's actually a life that has been changed. But there are some. There are some who want to know this. And gospel seeds are welcomed by those who are searching. Listen, the going, the showing, the telling, that's in our control, right? But the results are not in our control. We see in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, you all know this verse. We'll study the whole passage on Wednesday night. I hope you'll come be with us. I have planted, this is Paul talking, a pastor. I have planted the seeds. Paul has watered the seeds, but God gave the increase. He goes on to say, he that plants and he that waters are one. But he never includes us in the increase part. Why is that? Because that's not your business. That's God's business. To do something not only that you can't do, but you're not even supposed to do. God brings the increase. You do what you can do, what God tells you to do. God does what only he can do. That's the saving of a soul. It's bringing the fruit from the seeds of the word of God that you and I plant and you and I water as God is engineering this whole thing sovereignly throughout creation, wanting to use instruments that he has saved and he has delivered from sin to carry out his word, to shine brightly, to take the steps and walk the path that he has each and every one of us differently ordained you to do so that you will bring him into this world. What a privilege. It's a command, but more than that, it's a privilege. It's an honor. Do not let the opposition silence you. That is exactly what Satan wants. For you and I to go under a rock and be silenced in all of this, absolutely not. Gospel seeds are welcomed by those who are searching. Let's look at the text, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Who? This, this not-so-blind man anymore. Jesus hears that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, Jesus said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. We'll, we'll run through that in a second, but... 
Look what just happened here. Jesus comes. He hears that this man has been cast out. He's a sinner. You can't talk to us like that, you, you bum. Okay, we, knew, we know something's up here. This didn't really happen to you. And they cast him out of the synagogue. He's been excommunicated at some level, at least. Jesus knows, and Jesus comes. Because Jesus knows why he was excommunicated. The Son of God, omniscient God, knows why, and he comes to this man. Jesus hears they'd cast him out. And when he found him, he says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? And we see that many times the searchers, um, they don't even know what they're searching for. Look at this man. He does not even know who God is. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, verse 36, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? It wasn't that he didn't want to be saved. He just really had no clue who to even direct that to. No clue. Pastor David Platt, I believe, <clears throat> if it wasn't him, I apologize, but I believe I'm quoting him. As he said, much of the world has just enough knowledge of God to send them to hell. Much of the world has just enough knowledge of God to send them to hell. What is he talking about? Well, we know from Scripture, Romans chapter 1, Psalm 19, I believe it is. There's even another passage talking about that God has given witness of himself throughout creation, that each and every one of us have this witness uh, that God exists, and you actually have to suppress that witness and reject that. But it's enough that you and I are to be in searching. Through the prophet, God has promised that you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart. We know that principle is there. We know that prophecy is there. So what is our place in all this? Well, our place is to take what God has done, the gospel that has been given to us, the directions on what to do once we realize that God exists. Now we have directions on what to do with that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. That is our job to take that information to people that are searching. You say, who's searching? You don't know. But he does. He does, and he knew this man was. There was no argument here whatsoever. Did you catch that? None, zero. He knew the man was ready. He knew the man wanted to believe, and he came to that man. That's the person he came to. Searchers do not know who they're searching. Many times, the letter B, searchers are searching, this sounds basic, because they want to know. They want to know the truth. Searchers are searching because they have a desire to know the truth. In verse 37, And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh of thee. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I'm coming to this world, but they which see not, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Do you see what happens here? This man's salvation now creates an opportunity for more witness. That's the process that's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be you or I get somebody to pray a prayer and they pray this prayer and we never ever see or hear anything from them again. Does that not just feel a little suspect? Yes. At what point do we start following Jesus and at what point do we say, listen, I mean, are you following Jesus or not? Yes. And just be, just say what it is. Here's, here's what you do. You help that person draw a line. You help them draw a line like this man was doing 
He didn't even know what he was drawing. But just by sharing what Jesus had done with him and trying to figure out who Jesus was and being bold about that, he was creating lines in people's lives, right? He was, he was drawing or repelling people that were either interested or not interested in what was getting ready to happen here. And we see it goes on. The searchers are searching because they want to know the truth. But let her see, and lastly, even in the opposition, there are some who are secretly searching. There are some. Look in verse 40. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? I don't know if we understand how, how much humility it took for them to say that. Are we blind also? Part of the leadership spoke up. We don't know if they were with Jesus or they're with this man or they're just in the vicinity. We don't know exactly. But they were there and they heard all of this and they saw all of this take place, this man's salvation. And they have now just stepped into the light as searchers. Are we blind? What did Jesus say? If you were blind, you should have no sin. Like these guys over here. Oh, they're already righteous. That's not who I came for. I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for the sick, those who understand that they need me, those who understand that they're sinners. You know what you just called me a few minutes ago? Those who actually understand that they are sinners before a holy God, and they understand that Messiah has come, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. So guess what? You guys can see. You could see. We don't know what happened with them, but we here have a moment of honesty. And boy, if they didn't get saved soon after this, they at least knew the truth. They knew. And it was all a result of God doing a work in somebody else's life. He had an opportunity to say what he said, to deliver truth, for them to see this whole thing unfold, to see the reality of Jesus in somebody's life. Not everybody accepted, but even in the opposition, there were a few who were looking. And Please understand that even if that guy next door hates your guts, that doesn't mean he's not listening. That doesn't mean you need to go and force a prayer down his throat. What it means is keep shining. Keep sharing Jesus every chance you get. We don't know at what point he's at in this. And yep, okay, maybe a hundred of those guys will never come to Christ, but what if one does? What if one, as we'll talk about Wednesday night, like the Apostle Paul, who literally was killing Christians, had full authority, and was doing it with everything that was in him. And when God confronts him uh, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, what did the Apostle Paul do? He did not react like one of these men. When God told him that it is hard for you to kick against the pricks, he knew exactly what God was saying. And he didn't even argue. <laughs> Lord, what would you have me to do? With fear and trembling. Lord, what would you have me to do? Pretty sure everybody up to that point who met the Apostle Paul would never have guessed that he would come to Christ. Nobody. But God knew. And you and I have something so precious if you've been saved in here, if you've been born again. May you and I have such a daily knowledge that everywhere we go, we have an opportunity to share Jesus. And I'm not talking about the Romans road. It may come to that. I'm talking about what has Jesus done in my life? The difference, what difference has he made? Would it make any difference if Jesus left? 
and just being vocal about these things. They're vocal about everything else. I mean, they're very talkative about their way of life. This message right here, this text right here has, has greatly confronted me and encouraged me that I need to be vocal everywhere I go. And I'll be honest with you, that's a little difficult for me. I, 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 get, all my mess, I get all my messages out in the pulpit. That's, what I, that's where I do. It's my nature. But you know what? That's not an excuse, is it? Hey, well, I'm just not that way. Too bad. Too bad for me. Too bad for Jesus if I would fall back on a crutch like that, right? Too bad for the gospel or too bad for somebody that needs the gospel if I'm just going to fall back on, well, that's just not my personality. Or, well, they're just not going to like me if I do that. Shame on Sean if that happens. We've seen such a glowing testimony of what Jesus Christ can do in the life of an individual and how that individual's life, if it's visible and out loud, starts automatically drawing lines in people's lives. And they're making choices. And yes, many of them will reject. Some of them, even with vehemence, will reject. But some are looking. They're searching. And you and I may be the one that God will use to bring him to them. He may, we may be the one that, to plant or to water so that God can do what he does. And that'd be a wonderful thing. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for your kind attention to the word of God this morning. I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you about. I don't know how this lands in your life. I would first of all encourage you that if you don't know for sure if you're a follower of Jesus, if you don't know that you've ever been saved by the grace of God, I mean, you look at your life and Jesus is just not a part of it. I would encourage you in about 30 seconds when we stand to just dismiss yourself from your aisle, from your pew row, and just head right to the back. We have double doors, single doors on both sides. Head right back to the lobby. I'll have people back there that can show you from the Bible how you can be saved. How you can have your sins forgiven. Have a right relationship with God.